Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're going to continue our sermon series on the gospel. Uh, it's basically what it's about. It's the cross-shaped life. Um, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 this morning. It's on page 1065 if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. Mark chapter 2, 13 through 17. Hear now God's holy and true word. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house with many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word is powerful and that it does not go out and return to you empty or void. So we are rejoicing this morning as we look into your word, into this passage. Would you help us to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in a way that transforms us and brings much glory to his name? We do thank you for his graciousness to us and what he has done for us on the cross. Let that shine bright. And we pray all these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. So last week we saw the first of five confrontations between Jesus and some religious leaders. Last week we talked about how they were having a problem with the fact that Jesus claimed to have the authority to forgive sins on earth. They didn't like that. And today we're going to see them having a problem with the company that Jesus kept. We're going to see that they didn't like the fact that Jesus hung out with people who didn't really seem to have any regard for the law of God and actually uh, were pretty big sinners. And uh, what we see is something that's absolutely amazing about Jesus. That he simultaneously lived a perfectly holy life, yet... At the same time, he was completely accepting of people who lived completely unholy lives. He was perfect. He was, lived in complete holiness, but he was completely accepting and showed great love to people around him. It's amazing. And it's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where people are accepted. And so that's why this is a pretty challenging text to us as a church. To see the holiness of Christ and how it's this combination of obedience to the Lord, but also acceptance to people around us. And so we're going to look at this today. The cross-shaped life involves the pursuit of true holiness, true holiness. And true holiness is the rejection of sin, but at the same time, the acceptance of sinners. And so we're going to look at three things today. I want to talk about a humbling faith an inviting holiness and a powerful cross. A humbling faith and inviting 
holiness and a powerful cross. Uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to walk right through this text. Look at verses 13 and 14, and uh, we'll start with a humbling faith. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. First thing I want to see here today is that Jesus' disciples are given the faith it takes to follow him. That's big, okay? Jesus' disciples are given the faith it takes in order to follow him. And we see that in the fact that this tax collector follows Jesus, a tax collector. Okay, and we, we need to take a look here and see why a tax collector would have been, in our minds, one of the, one of the least likely people to follow Jesus and put his faith in Jesus, uh, humanly speaking. So he's, we're talking about Levi. That's this man's name. He's a tax collector, which means that he worked for the Roman government, basically. The Roman government was the authority in the land. And so what they would do is hire somebody to do what's called tax farming. And the tax farmers or the tax collectors would go around and collect all the taxes from the people. And then they would take that money and send it on to Rome. Now, if they did it honestly, what they would do is they would collect all the money. They would get a little more than they needed so they could pay themselves a salary and then send on the money. But uh, what we know from Scripture is that the tax collectors were notoriously dishonest, notoriously dishonest. They collected way more than they needed, totally abused the system. And they would just tell people that there was just random taxes that nobody could defend themselves. Nobody knew any different. There was no way they could call up the Roman government and say, hey, the tax farmer is saying that he's, you're taxing shoelaces now. Is that true? There's just no way for them to know. So the tax collectors were able to abuse this system in an incredible way. And so the community saw these people as sharks, as traitors. They viewed them as equal with thieves and murderers. I mean, they just thought these people were despicable. Now, these were ethnically Jewish people, but they were not observant. Okay, in fact, uh, if they were, uh, when they chose to become a tax collector, they were basically saying, "Yeah, I don't care. I'll just be an outcast. That's a lot of money." Okay, and here, listen, listen to what one author says about this. He says, "When a Jew entered the customs service." or the tax collecting service. He was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session. He was excommunicated from the synagogue. And in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended uh, even to his family. Now, why in the world would a guy like that pick up and follow Jesus, follow this Jewish teacher that just came by and said, follow him. Why would he possibly do that? Especially since if he's going to follow Jesus, he's going to leave behind all that money, that huge business to follow Jesus. He would have to leave that behind him. Why would he possibly do that? And the answer is he was given the gift of faith. Look at verse 14. It says that he followed him. Jesus said, follow me, and it says he rose and followed him. We see that verb following 19 times in Mark's gospel, 19 times. And it's what one author refers to as a loaded term or a load-bearing term uh, because it really is synonymous with faith. And so what happened was in that moment when Jesus says, follow me, 
The reason Levi got up is because he suddenly had faith in Jesus. Now, where does that come from? And that's where we, we look at the rest of Scripture to see how we get faith. And the reality is uh, there's a doctrine called effectual calling, that, that God places this call on people's lives. He puts faith inside of us so that we can respond to Jesus when he says, follow me. A great example of this, great example is Acts 16, 14. Paul The Apostle Paul is doing evangelism. He's speaking to a woman named Lydia, and she believes, and she's baptized. Her whole household is baptized. But one of the things it says about her in Acts 16, 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. So the reason that she was able to believe is God had given her that gift of faith. Jesus says something like this in John 15, 16. It doesn't get any more clearer than this. He says, You didn't choose me. But I chose you. That's John 15, 16. And we know that that choice, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 4, was made before the foundations of the world. Ephesians 1, verse 4 says he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, which means that uh, in Levi's case, God had chosen to give him the gift of faith before Levi ever existed, before the world ever existed. And that's the same for you and me. God chose to give us faith so that when we would hear the voice of Christ through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit, that we too would rise and follow him. Jesus' disciples are given the faith it takes to follow him. And this is critically important because if we don't own this, if we don't recognize this, then we wind up in spiritual pride. There's really no other way around it. When we believe that we are the ones who made that decision, we wind up spiritually prideful. You've got to ask yourself this question. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian and your neighbor or your roommate or your friend is not a Christian? What's the difference between you and that person? And it, uh, it gets to be a little tough uh, to not to speak about this humbly, doesn't it? Because if we say, well, uh, I'm, uh, I must be smarter than the person who didn't believe. Well, that doesn't sound all that humble, does it? Uh, maybe, oh, well, I'm more responsible. Uh, let's see, what's the difference between me who believes and somebody who does not believe? It, well, I, um, I repented. Uh, well, why didn't the other person repent? Well, I chose to humble myself. Well, why didn't the other person choose to humble themselves? It goes on and on and on until we finally get to the fact that either there's something better in you and me who believe, something to be proud of, or the difference between people who believe and people who don't is that God has given the gift of faith to those who believe, and he has not given the gift of faith, at least not yet, to people who do not believe. That's why it's a humbling faith. And if you're a non-believer, this is actually really good news. Because what this means is, if you see that Christ is glorious, if you're being drawn to him, if you feel like he's calling you to follow him, that's because God made a choice before he created the world. And that call is for you to show you that he's chosen to redeem you, to save you, to transform you, to bring you into the body. That's amazing news. If you put your faith in Christ, it's because God has chosen you for that exact purpose. So that is phenomenal news. For, the, for those of us who believe, it is just incumbent upon us, therefore, to, to own the fact that we didn't conjure up our faith. 
It was a gift to us so that we could respond to those incredible words, follow me, that we hear through the gospel and we hear by the power of the Holy Spirit. Unless we let go of the idea that we're saved because we made a decision to follow Christ, we'll never be able to really be truly humble. We'll always struggle and look down on people who don't believe, people who are struggling to try to obey God's commands. We have a very humbling faith. We have a faith that teaches we would never do what's right. We would never follow Christ unless God does something first, unless through the Holy Spirit, by the action of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are regenerated and we can believe and respond and sing the words of that great hymn where we say, My Lord, I did not choose you, for that could never be. My heart would still refuse you had you not chosen me. That's humbling. Let's look at an inviting holiness. Look at 15 and 16, an inviting holiness. Uh, It says, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? There's such a convicting truth right here that goes right in line with our faith needing to be a humbling faith. And that's this, that Jesus' holiness, his complete observance of the law, did not preclude him from showing love and acceptance to people. Perfect obedience to God did not preclude in one bit him showing love and acceptance. Absolutely glorious he is. Glorious. Okay, Uh, how do we know that, uh, how do we see this here? Uh, It says that they reclined at table. That means they were eating together. Now, this is not that Jesus just happened to sit at their lunch table and thought, okay, well, I won't get up and go away because the sinners are here. No, that's not it. This reclining at table means they were having a party. They were getting together to have a good time. That's what this means. In this time when the Jews were sitting down to eat, they would sit down to eat. But if they were having a special evening, a special event, a banquet, they would recline. They would lie down. It was a way of showing that this is a special, special time where people should enjoy themselves and enjoy each other's company. It's like many of us yesterday were at Amy Campbell's wedding. Amy Campbell, Amy Campbell, we've got to work on that now. Uh, she used to be Amy Hurstman, and so she married Chris Campbell. Both of them attend here, members here. Amy works here. And so we went to the party yesterday, or the wedding and it was very obvious that they wanted us to have a good time. There was food, there was uh, music, there was dancing, there was dresses. It was amazing. And, and you know, we, it was, if, you, if you didn't know it was a special event, when we lied down and were eating on the ground, it was amazing. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. But, but there was no question that it was a special event. Everybody was dressed up, chair covers, okay, no, anyway, it was, I did it at my wedding too. That's what you do. Um, but we, we, people knew this is a special event and people are supposed to have a good time and enjoy each other's company. And that's what reclining at table means. That Jesus was reclining at table, having a good time with these tax collectors. We know that the tax collectors were uh, sort of a despicable type of person, but sinners, it says tax collectors and sinners, sinners in a general sense just means people who have no regard for the law of God. So they behave however they want to behave. 
That's what that term really basically means. Sinners, people that really don't have any regard for the law of God. So there's no telling how they would behave or what they would do. And Jesus is socializing with them. He's spending time with them. He's, he's in their presence and they feel accepted by him. And you know what's crazy? Here's what's crazy. There's no indication that these people had repented or, or changed their lives. Levi had faith. We know that. But the rest of these guys... There's no indication. One author, James Edwards, says this. He says, the scandal of this story is that Jesus does not make moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. He didn't give them a list of rules. He didn't walk in and say, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to hang out with you guys, but listen, no excessive drinking. Don't swear. Okay, watch your mouths around me. And, uh, and here's another thing. He didn't do that. He walked in. He lied down. He ate, he drank, he spent time with them. And now, uh, he, was, he was eating with them, which is a sign of friendship. This is, this is what, what provokes them. This is what provokes the Pharisees. And I would say that he did this to provoke the Pharisees in the story and the Pharisees in us. That's the reason that Jesus does this. Think about Pharisees. Pharisees were a a certain sect of Judaism. They were really obsessed with the law. They had taken the Old Testament and really dissected it and and marked out 613 commands, a whole bunch of positive ones, some negative ones. And so they had all these 613 commands, and they spent a lot of time trying to make sure that they were organizing their life just right so they could obey all of these laws. They even made up extra laws that didn't exist. Uh, they made up extra laws that were to act as sort of a buffer between uh, disobedience and or them and disobedience. And so they one of the rules that they made up, which comes into play here, is Pharisees refused to eat at the home of somebody who was not also a Pharisee. Why? Well, Pharisees, uh, you know, again, they... they uh, the law was the most important thing in, the, in, the, in their life. And uh, God does command us to tithe. And so the Pharisees tithed on everything, even down to their spices. They would count out 10% of their spices. Okay, And so the reason that they would not eat at the home of a non-Pharisee is how do they know that that food, how do they know, how do they know the ingredients that went in that food was tithed upon? I mean, it just... Never ends. You see that they have this, this, uh, this amazingly, profoundly flawed view of what makes a person holy. That's the problem here. The Pharisees had a flawed view of what makes a person holy or set apart or special to God. They believed that it was their strict observance of the law that made them holy, made them set apart. And therefore, they were very protective of their holiness. Very protective of their holiness and their holiness, their strict observance, therefore caused them to refuse to accept people who weren't like them. That's the root cause is they were refusing to accept people that weren't trying to do what they were trying to do. That's why they asked this question. They're like, wait a minute. Jesus is like a teacher of the law. Um, Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he spending time with them? Why is he showing them friendship? That's what eating with somebody meant. You sit down or lie down to eat with somebody. That meant I accept you. We're friends. And so this drove them nuts. Why is he doing that? Doesn't he know that they're not holy? Doesn't he know that they are lawbreakers? Doesn't he know they probably didn't tithe on the ingredients that went into that food? drives them absolutely nuts 
Isn't he concerned with his holiness, they thought? So, so what causes somebody to be a Pharisee? Or what is, what do, how do we recognize Phariseeism in ourselves? And really, it's this belief. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's actually it's unchecked spiritual pride. That's where it comes from. Unchecked spiritual pride. When we think that we're the reason we're a Christian, when we think that our holiness comes from our obedience, that is spiritual pride. And it comes, or it, it, that's, that's the cause of this attitude. It's unchecked spiritual pride. It's the belief that God loves you and accepts you because you strive to obey his commands. And you, if you believe that God loves you and accepts you because you strive to obey his commands, you're going to have a real hard time loving and accepting people who don't believe and who don't strive to obey God's commands. You can flip that and it gets even more convicting. If you struggle to love and accept people, it's most likely because you believe that God accepts you on the basis of what you do. And so when you believe that God accepts you based on what you do, you only accept people based on what they do. And here's, the, here's where it really gets me. I realize this. I see this in myself. Um, it's not really a problem with the person. It's not a problem with the sinner that we have. It, our struggle is with grace. That's what we really struggle with when we're struggling to be accepting of people. We struggle with the concept of grace, God's amazing grace. That he loves us not because of what we do, not because of our observance of the law, no matter how strict. He loves us because he chose to set his love on us in Christ. That's our real struggle. Can we really believe, can we accept God's grace? Can we believe that he loves us and accepts us and has set us apart as holy, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And it's so important, not only for our own walk with Christ, that we believe in grace, that we trust that we're saved by grace, but also for us as a church and our witness to our city and our world. One person has said, how many prodigals are kept out of the kingdom of God by the unlovely character of those who profess to be inside? Oh, that stings. i tell you a story. Um... Story about Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he was when he was president. There was a time where he was going cross country with uh, some men on horseback, and they came to a river where the banks had overflowed significantly and even washed away the bridge. And so they needed to get across. <clears throat> excuse me. They needed to get across this bridge. So <clears throat> they realized, you know, we're on horses. Horses can swim. We will just. Have them forge the river. And so they, one by one, they start sending people across the river on horses. They kind of loaded everything up on the back of the horses. And the horses were making it across. And after a few horses had made it all the way across, there was a traveler standing there who was hoping there would have been a bridge, but there wasn't. And so he's noticing what's happening. He's watching them. And after he sees four or five of these guys safely get across the river by going on the back of the horses, he asks Jefferson, he asks Thomas Jefferson, hey, can I get a ride on the back of your horse? And Thomas Jefferson says, sure. And so he hops on and uh, Jefferson's horse swims both of them safely to the other side. Now, when they got to the other side, uh, the, the guys in the, in the riding party there were all interested to see why, why did this guy ask the president? And so they asked him, they said, why did you ask Thomas Jefferson out of all these people? And he said, oh, I actually didn't know that was the president. Uh, I, I didn't know that. He said, all I know is, uh, he said that, uh, it, uh, 
some of your faces on some of your faces was written no and on some of your faces was written yes and his was a yes face so because thomas jefferson has a yes face on this guy gets to safety And you and I have an opportunity to, by the power of the gospel, always be wearing a yes face, which gives us such an incredible opportunity to show them the true person who wears the true yes face that will get them to true safety. We have the opportunity to show people acceptance, the acceptance of Christ as we Strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to be accepting of people. They see the acceptance of Christ. They see his yes face in your yes face. And sadly, they'll see his no face in our no face. But he doesn't have a no face, does he? So Jesus' holiness, his perfect observance of the law, does not preclude him from loving and accepting even tax collectors and sinners. He has this inviting holiness. This is the type of holiness I want. I know this is the type of holiness you want. This, this really fierce you know, love of the law and trying to obey the law for the glory of God, but at the same time, a totally open and loving acceptance of people man is he glorious to be able to be perfect and open and completely accepting of people that is what makes him so amazing and so glorious and worthy of our worship all the time i love nancy lee demoss she says this so amazing she says true holiness isn't cold and deadening it's warm and inviting it's irresistible those who think otherwise have never seen it but only its caricatures I think that's amazing news, uh, that, that Christ would empower us to live a holy life, yet be accepting of people who don't. How do we do that? How do we avoid spiritual pride? How do we, how do we, uh, how do we do this? And the answer is we look at the power of the cross. We look at Christ. So let's talk about a powerful cross. Look at verse 17. Uh, as Jesus says, uh, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's it's basically, it's this easy. It's not easy. We need Christ, but it's like this. When we believe that we are sinners accepted by Christ, because of the cross, we are empowered to love and accept other sinners. That's it. That's the only way. When we believe deeply that we are sinners who've been accepted by Christ because of the cross, that's how we're empowered to show love and acceptance to other sinners. Now, just look at verse 15 really quick. I love this. This is really powerful here. Verse 15, it says, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And his disciples. Imagine that moment. They're sitting there, hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees get all upset. And Jesus says this line. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And the disciples are sitting there going, yeah, that's right. And Jesus called me. So. They had to make a decision right there. Do they are they going to own the fact that they are a sinner? Literally, the word means a person devoted to sin. Are they going to own the fact that they're just like the tax collectors and the sinners? 
Are they going to own that? Because if they don't, they can't own the call. Unless they can acknowledge that they're sinners and they are in desperate need of being transformed and ultimately, most importantly, of being saved, unless they can own that, they don't get to be his disciple. That is that humbling faith coming back. And so, yes, he was provoking the Pharisees then and now, but he's also teaching. He's teaching how we have a humbling faith. He's teaching how we wind up with an inviting holiness. He's showing us the power of the cross. He's showing us that, that, that we are sinners, just like anybody else. And the only difference is that we've been given that gift of faith. We have our doctor. We have our savior. That's who Jesus is. Jesus has shown his ultimate yes face to you and me on the cross. That's where we see his yes face. The cross is the picture of the yes face of Christ. Yes, I accept you. The cross where Jesus went to die for our sins, to pay for our sins. And not only that, but also to give us power over those sins, but not a power over those sins that that results in us being all spiritually prideful. A power over sin that even enables us to have an inviting holiness about us. Man, this is amazing. Man, this is good, good news. And we see the cross in Levi. Because Levi, at some point, has his name changed to Matthew. That's what we see. Levi is also known as Matthew. And we've seen in Scripture there are several places where people's names are changed. Levi, in this case, is the tax collector, is Matthew the tax collector, that's written about in the book of Matthew. And Levi, who's despised by all the community, becomes Matthew. And the name Matthew means the gift of God. So the despised becomes the gift of God. How's that possible? Because the gift of God, Christ the Lord, became the despised on the cross. That's the power of the cross. And as we believe that by faith and through the grace of God, we are holy in God's sight because of what Christ has done. When we accept that we're sinners and that we're accepted by Christ, we have his permanent yes face. That is where we get the power to show a yes face to this world who needs Jesus so much. May that be true of all of us. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the times that we have shown a no face to people when we've shown a a lack of acceptance. Forgive us of our sinfulness in that regard. Help us own the fact that we are sinners, but we are accepted sinners. We are forgiven sinners. We are sinners who've been declared righteous by you because of the finished work of our king who shows his yes face to us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.